Hello, you're listening to From the Bibliophiles, a science podcast discussing how storytelling succeeds in communicating difficult science concepts. I'm your host and interviewer, Kenna Castleberry. If you're a new listener, you can find our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other places. Be sure to give us a five-star review if you like our show. If you enjoyed today's episode, like it and share it with your friends. In this episode, I talked to Avis Lang, writer and editor of Hayden Associate, adjunct lecturer in English at the City University of New York, and a research associate at the Hayden Planetarium. Avis recently co-wrote a book with popular scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson called Accessory to War, which discusses the partnerships between NASA and the military. Let's listen to the interview now to learn more. What started the process of writing Accessory to War? What what was kind of the kickoff of, let's write this book about the partnership between astrophysics and the military? Well, it wasn't my idea. Let's start there. (laughs) Let's be totally honest. Um, I had been Neil's editor at Natural History Magazine for several years after the original editor uh, and most of the rest of the senior editors left the magazine when the Museum of Natural History in its financial crisis after 9-11, when it offloaded the magazine to uh, a group of uh, of private people who uh, were uh, very experienced in science publishing. So Neil's editor, who, uh, Ellen Goldenson, who was the person who actually decided that he would be a great columnist, and she was very prescient in that, um, she left and, um, uh, well, there weren't a lot of people to choose from. (laughs) So when, um, when Neil was asked, well, who do you think would be your editor? Uh, I guess I was on the list. So long story short, um, I uh, switched from being basically uh, one of the copy editors and fact checkers to being a senior editor. And um, among my responsibilities, uh, in fact, my what turned out to be my primary responsibility was Neil's column, Universe. So uh, I'm going to give you a little background, which Please. really will will indicate um, the sort of relative weights of each of us in this process. So Neil at that time was not the celebrity he is today, but he was getting busier and busier with the Uh, building of the new version of the Hayden Planetarium. So when we started off, um, like any normal columnist, he, you know, handed me his column and I worked on it and I fact-checked it and I edited it and we went back and forth and we got along perfectly well. In short order, the duties of overseeing 
the uh, design and execution of, of the new planetarium kind of overtook his life. And so, oh, well, this month he kind of uh, was late with his column. And then soon he was so just didn't quite come up with the column. Well, it, it became very clear fairly quickly that um, I would have to dream up some mechanism by which we could uh, have a little more security as <laughs> to the production of this column. And in my earlier life, as an art historian and an essayist on contemporary art, I was uh, very accustomed to interviewing artists at great length, transcribing the interviews myself with my own little old fashioned foot pedal controlled transcribing machine. And, you know, as I was transcribing, I would think about the ideas and, and then I would come up with the article and blah, blah, blah. So it seemed to me that this might be a way of at least getting something on, on paper or rather on the screen for Neil to work with. So um, the editors at Natural History thought that was okay and Neil thought that was okay. And so that's what we did. And so I can't remember which column it was. I produced uh, a rough draft based on a conversation on a topic, of course, of his choice. And that was fine for a couple of months. And then uh, it wasn't quite so fine. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll produce the rough draft, uh, the first draft. Long story short, Neil and I started working together in a more collaborative way to produce the column. So it was his ideas. We, we started learning how to collaborate with each other. And he came to understand exactly what I did not know. And I already was very clear on what I did not know and how much fact-checking I would have to do to comprehend certain concepts that were entirely new to me. And I mean entirely new because, remember, I was an art historian. I did not take any of those wonderful courses that had begun to be offered, you know, of astrophysics for poets. No, I did not take those courses. I did not take physics. I did not take, well, I did take chemistry, but I have no idea what I learned. In, in, in any case, um, I did know how to read and I did know how to analyze and my liberal arts education served me very, very well in this process of being exposed to unfamiliar concepts and researching them and pondering them and beginning to understand. And so if you look at the uh, 
it felt like hundreds, but it was more like dozens of drafts that went back and forth between Neil and me. You would see my queries and you would see his explanations and gradually the process of communicating these ideas in a way that I deeply, if temporarily, <laughs> understood them, uh, it, it, it just worked very well. So after a couple of years of this working very well, and um, are getting some notice of uh, certain essays in best, uh, best American essays or best science writer or whatever those uh, anthologies are. Um, so I'm in his office one day with my dinky little tape recorder that he always made fun of. He's, he's sitting there and he sort of, you know, cocks his head to the side and raises an eyebrow and looks at me and says, you don't want to be an editor your whole life, do you? Of course, my life at that point was very well advanced uh, beyond his years. Um, but anyway, um, so what did he have in mind? He had in mind this notion that there had been since time immemorial a partnership, an alliance, a mutual benefit society between the military, the forces of control, the rulers, the power structure, and the astrophysicists. Not in the same way that the uh, alliance between the physicists and the rulers or the military had experienced and not in the way that the, you know, biologists or the forces of religion or whatever, but a very specific kind of um, alliance. Um, the alliance with the very, very distant and initially uh, the only marginally visible, and then ultimately the detectable beyond the realm of the visible. How did this play into the um, arrogation of power, the maintenance of power, and the, the will to dominance that we see and hear of today, which all too often goes under the very uh, sanitized term leadership, but which I, <laughs> given my own politics, hear as dominance. Okay, so Neil has this idea, and I think, oh, okay, a book. Uh, well, okay, I guess I can, you know, try this. And so uh, it was a very, very, very <laughs> attenuated process from that little meeting in his office, whatever year that was, 2003, 
that this process began. And it was extremely attenuated because I had to learn all of these things that I did not know. I had to research ancient history. I had to begin to understand the history of navigation, the history of colonization, the emergence of certain um, uh, tools that the early mariners used, um, all the prehistory, uh, all the history preceding the telescope, preceding the day when Hans Lipperhe or Lippershe or however one wants to pronounce it, you know, walked into this uh, kind of war room setting in uh, what is now uh, Flanders, we will call it Flanders, and said, uh, I, I have... I have a tool that you guys might be interested in. You can see the enemy through my little tube with its uh, glass lenses. Oh, really? Oh, hmm. How interesting. People from both sides of the conflict, uh, the Dutch and the Spanish were in the room. Oh, well, gee, uh, that's that's pretty interesting. Um and then one of them says, but but we, we promise we won't shoot at you. Well, <laughs> in any case, the telescope's prehistory was, I mean, I had to learn all of that. And I mean, it's so fascinating to ponder these eras, this, this period of history, when the knowledge of celestial events and movements and the cyclical nature of what was visible even to the naked eye. Of course, the naked eye in earlier centuries did not have to penetrate all the fog and the smog and the garbage that's up there. And how gradually the process of observation and record keeping and careful attention to changes made possible certain works of ancient architecture dedicated to religion. It made possible um, the arts of navigation. It made possible the control of a society in terms of knowing when the Nile would flood and when other um, when the day would begin and end and what the work schedules of the peasants should be. So there was all this incredible prehistory. And then the telescope, which was foreseen, really foreseen in a very eloquent way. I would actually love to read the quotation um, by a uh, a monk in the 13th century who already foresaw how lenses, which did not yet exist in sufficient uh, quality or clarity to do what he was foreseeing, but he foresaw the possibilities 
of lenses in a tube being capable of seeing the heavens as well as seeing the armies. And this is in their quotation, a scholarly Franciscan friar, a monk, a monk named Roger Bacon. So he sends the Pope a scientific treatise in which he says, we can so shape transparent bodies and arrange them in such a way with respect to our sight and objects of vision that the rays will be refracted and bent in any direction we desire, blah, 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 blah. Thus, a small army might appear very large and situated at distance might appear close at hand. So also we might cause the sun, moon, and stars in appearance to descend here below. Primary is the idea of terrestrial detection. Secondary, the idea of observing the heavens. And this emphasis persists for quite a long time. So the generals, the military commanders, were very swift to see the terrestrial advantages. Galileo himself, when he was making his pitch to the senators of Venice, just just really months, kind of a year after, but think of it as mere months after Hans Lippery presented his his uh, invention, Galileo makes his pitch to the senators of Venice, which is a seafaring power. So they really want to see what is happening in their harbors. He makes this pitch to the senators about the terrestrial or rather, you know, oceanic or uh, maritime, the maritime advantages of having a good view And then he also, you know, kind of decides to look upward and, oh, there's Saturn with little cup handles. (laughs) What are those? Um, And so on and so on. So to get back to your question, Neil's concept was, of course, totally true, but it fell to me to dive as far as I could into the ultra specifics of it. The anecdotes that one didn't know, you know, every astrophysicist knows about Hans Lipperhe, and they know about Galileo, and they know about Kepler, and etc. But the teeny tiny details were, it was up to me. Sure, yeah. And I was thrilled to do this because, you know, I was really, I mean, I'm now kind of retired. I'm an old person. I sit at my desk at home and I work. And at that point, you know, I was not young, but I had a whole lifetime of reading and thinking and enjoying 
learning about things and to have to be presented with the opportunity to throw myself into a massive challenge and learn things I did not know. This was a wonderful opportunity and, you know, not that many people have it. And your, your podcast is about science writing. Most people who are engaged in any kind of science writing, journalism, what they have to pitch their projects. They have to work very hard at that. What did I have to do? Neil did all the pitching, of course. I was free to sit at my desk day after day, month after month, year after year, and work. This is a real privilege. <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's wonderful. So my, my last question for you, Abbas, and then I'll let you go, is just kind of, you know, based off this book and based off your research, what has been kind of the, your predicted impact for your readers? So, you know, somebody picks up this book. How do you think that their opinions of either the military or astrophysicists have changed after reading this? Well, first of all, the people who um, love Neil because he's so lovable and bouncy and happy and, you know, fun, uh, <laughs> they were not happy with this book. <laughs> they, they, they bought... They <laughs> If you if you go on Amazon and you look at the ratings, you know, the five, four, three, two, one. So uh, some of the earliest um, comments were on the one and two level. Like, why does this book exist? <laughs> so, um, OK, those people, uh, I don't think their minds were changed, <laughs> shall we say. But um, a bit by bit, um, the... Uh, the kinds of people who actually want to know history, the history of science, the history of power, and the nature of the interaction. These people love the book. And among them, I have to say, my brother, the theoretical astrophysicist, now a theoretical physicist, now retired, who is older than me and, you know, who had a very a stellar career, uh, got the book. He phones me up just a few pages in. Avi, it's so good. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't expecting to learn that much. I think. And then he went out and bought the book for some friends of his and they were thrilled and, oh, there's so much research here and it's wonderful. To... So I think as with so many things, whether we're talking politics or science or our history for that matter, people who already are interested who already are open to 
ideas will embrace new information. And people who have a very definite point of view that is closed to new information will not be so enthusiastic. Um, but uh, for me, uh, because this was certainly the biggest challenge of my entire uh, mental life, for me, um, the <laughs> trivial activity of looking at the Amazon ratings actually confirms to me that there are many, many people out there, some of them in the military and some of them in the land of science and some of them in uh, occupants of the domain of politics. There are people who have valued this book and who feel enlightened by it. What more can one ask, really? So I'm thrilled to have worked on this. And the whole, we didn't go into this at all, but you cannot imagine the amount of back and forth and the picking over single words. Oh, I don't like that word. Oh, I never use that word. Oh, but, you know, we, we developed our way of working together which is, of course, one of the most lovely things about, about many kinds of work, especially in the sciences, working with another person closely on something and producing something that is greater than the sum of its parts.